you know, we consistently get feedback from parents, from children, from teachers. Though quite often it's, you're missing something that we want. What do you think it means to shine on the inside and outside? So if they're going to accuse us of anything, it's the people who say, it's not just about instant recall. And we say, no, you're right. We're with you on that. It's not just about instant recall. It's also about... We're joined today by Bruno Reddy, founder of Times Table Rockstars and champion for sustainable change. Thank you for, for coming along and spending some time with us today, Bruno. Really, really appreciate it. My first question about TT Rockstars. What does, what does TT Rockstars offer for teachers? Uh, TT Rockstars offers, hopefully, a really exciting way to watch your children improve at Times Tables, I suppose, in a nutshell. But also let me say thank you very much for inviting me to be here because it's absolutely nuts that I should be on a podcast for White Rose Maths. Um, loving it. Like, I'm really honoured just to be here. Thank you very much. I think there's lots of teachers who will be using TT Rockstars. It's, it's almost in, in every school in the country now, I imagine. And everywhere I go, I see children loving it and teachers appreciating all the usability of it. I think there are some teachers who put children on it for 20 minutes a week and maybe there are tools in the background that they're not aware of. What do you think the most useful elements of, of the TT Rockstar's experience are? Yeah, good question. I mean, children spending 20 minutes, 20 minutes on it a week is no bad thing. Ideally, we'd say chunk those 20 minutes into kind of five episodes of four minutes at a time, just because of that space repetition is going to kind of go further than kind of the blocked practice of 20 minutes. But that's not your question. Um, in terms of um, what teachers might do once the children have been playing 20 minutes, I would say sometimes teachers make the mistake of trying to get too forensic with every child's heat map and look at individual children's individual question skills. Let rock stars do the heavy lifting of that data analysis. It's all feeding in to their gameplay in the garage. So instead, use that time that you buy back from not having to do that data analysis to find out which children have done really well. Just maybe even last night, they went on, you go in, check when they last played, found that they earned a few coins. So you just give them a quick shout out in registration. That's all it takes for them. They just need to like hear it happening, hear that it's in your kind of consciousness. And everybody else hears that and wants, oh, I want a shout out. I'm going to play tomorrow. Um, find the custom leaderboards where you can get like an automatic assembly builder. It hands out the certificates for you. Well, it, you do the handing out part, but it kind of generates them for you. And it makes like what looks like a PowerPoint slide uh, slideshow. Um, so you just need to click next, next, next. And it says, well done to the children who have earned something. That's a huge time saver. And I wish I could have had it when, when I was teaching because I know that teachers would spend ages preparing stuff for a Friday reward assembly. And I thought, well, Cotton, we can get the tech to do most of that. Um, so there's often some nifty little features here and there. You can check very quickly on the past tables table to see at a glance which children you need to intervene with and by all means spend that spare time that you that hopefully we're saving a little bit there um, and intervene one-to-one -one with a couple of children if you can. I think it's fantastic that as an organisation you're thinking of how you can save teachers' time. They're incredibly busy incredibly hard-working people and i feel like anything we can do just to save them five minutes here or there is, is well worth it there is a, an option on tg rockstars where we can set children specific tables to have a look at yeah and that's been evolving hasn't it 
that is something that we continue to try and evolve. Like we're trying to get the most learning that we can out of every minute that the child spends on that. So yeah, we're constantly iterating. We've got a massive data set now of over a trillion answers that children have given us over the years. And so we're using that all the time to ask it questions. Could there be, could there have been a faster learning pathway? What we're trying to do now at the moment is to respond to a child's individual times table skills every 60 seconds so that it will just kind of get the learning perfect and as quick as it can be for the least amount of effort on the child's part. Um, so what we would say on the table setting pages, don't set them. Teachers, don't set them. Go and do something else, right? Because actually we're going to do it quicker um, than you possibly can. We're going to be able to do it based on more data points than you possibly can. And you should be doing something else. The only time to change or play about with those table settings is if you're having a class focus Let's say you're following, for example, the white rose math scheme and you've got to the part of the syllabus where you're having a focus that week on the four times table, then fine. All right. You can sharpen their skills on the fours by limiting the questions to the fours. Um, there's that scenario. And the only other scenario is if they're already acing on the 12 times table, switch them on to the 13 to the 19 times table or the 20s, 30s, 40s. But otherwise, hands off the table setting do something else, go and celebrate the children who are doing really well because that will motivate everybody else to keep going as well. Fantastic, really useful insight, thank you for that. If we just narrow in on, we're learning the four times table, will timetables rock stars encourage intelligent practice with the children or is it gonna give us a random selection of questions? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely trying to tailor to the parts that the child needs the most using the data that we're getting from their gameplay. But I'd also say, have a look at the worksheets because historically the worksheets yeah, they were following a nice pedagogical sequence, but there was a lot more randomization to them. Last summer, we changed them so that actually each question was kind of like hand-placed onto the page because we thought more carefully about the intelligent practice, the variation, the opportunities for children to spot links between neighboring questions. So look at the worksheets. They're easy to roll out three minutes each day, often easier in my mind than getting the, the devices out. Fantastic. Again, really useful insights. Thank you. The, the name TT Rockstars came from, if, if I'm right remembering this, you were in the, in the staff room, you were doing a bit of extra washing up just because you're a nice guy, and a, and a colleague said, oh, you're a real rock star. That was it, yeah, she was an Amer she's American, and we're like really American about it, so I was like, Bruno, you're such a rock star, <laughs> uh, like for washing up the mugs when I wasn't on the rotor, and, and no one's ever called me, a, had, and probably still hasn't, to be fair, called me a rock star. And I thought, oh, that's quite nice. I quite like that as a compliment. And it was just then when I was thinking about what am I going to do with all the students, the year sevens who have, for whatever reason, come up from primary school, not knowing their tables. And it's just like one of those kind of cartoon light bulb moments when I thought, hmm, we could have fun with this. Like we can play rock music. Everybody can have a rock name. So I went home and I thought, is there a formula to work out somebody's rock name? Turns out there isn't but someone with way more time than the average person had made a rock name generating website. So I went onto that, plugged in the names of all the children in my three classes. I went with mine first. So I, I came out as Baz Winter and forever, well, since then I've been known, well, my rock alter ego is Baz Winter. <laughs> and then anyway, I typed in everybody else's name. I thought, yeah, this has got legs. Uh, and it just kind of snowballed from there. And it's just this theme that just kind of, you kind of keep tugging on this, Rockstar theme, and there's so many things that we can do with it. Hall of Fame, red carpet. 
we haven't gone as far as like throwing TVs out of hotel windows and <laughs> tour buses, but we have been on tour. Uh, like there's, there's a lot you can do with this theme and there's more to come. And what have you seen when you've been to schools? Where do schools take this? What, you know? like, so what we did at the, uh, after year one, I was, like, I was thinking, how am I going to celebrate the children who have kind of risen to the top, who have been working hard and through like sheer dedication, they're like now the fastest of the fast. So I thought, well, I'll give them some VIP treatment, right? proper rock hero treatment. So I, I, despite them kind of living on the perimeter of the school fence, I thought, well, what do VIPs do? They get driven to places. So I booked like five or six taxis to go around the estates and pick them up and just told them, look, just do an extra lap of the block so that they can kind of feel like they've been driven to school. <laughs> and and they arrived at school. We had like paparazzi waiting for them in the form of the head teacher with his camera and the crowd. They're the children with banners and stuff. So anything you can do to give them like a big rock hero welcome. We've had schools physically buy it and, and roll out an actual red carpet. We've had schools put on limos. We've had schools take them to... Um, like somewhere to get food at lunch or to bring in a round of Starbucks for them at break time, all sorts of things. Um, anything you can do to kind of yeah, give them that VIP, that sense of a VIP lifestyle that they're all craving. If you're going to have fun around maths, you're going to give it a great profile. You're going to inject energy into it. People are going to talk about it. Uh, and that's what you want. That's, that's what I always wanted was kind of raise it, to raise the profile of maths in my school to create a great culture around it. Incredible. I, I really think you are a huge contributor to that that culture around maths. And hopefully we're seeing this shift of, oh, I was no good at maths and I, I'm not interested in maths, to maths is fun. I'm, I'm rocking out while I'm doing maths. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, that is definitely like a lifelong ambition of mine is that children leave school saying, I am good at maths. Like, mm. Not only do we kind of eradicate people saying, I wasn't good at maths, but they're now actively saying, yeah, I am good at it. Mm. And we think that starts kind of from the age of five and through to 10 is like when those those seeds are being planted about their maths identity am i a maths person am i not i'd love to hear more of those ideas if anybody watching has um similar things that they do in their school then feel free to put them in the comments or, or get involved with the with the social media channels that'd be fab because this podcast is all about sharing those good ideas mm -hmm. and trying to inspire others to yeah to make teachers better at what they do allow them more time to to do what they do really well um, Tom said Rockstar's resounding success, as I said, in most schools in the country, and, and it sounds like the world as well. You're you're really having huge success there. Has it always been a smooth ride, or has has there been bumps in the road? Has there been criticisms? Um, I'll tell you what. I, I wasn't. I was never planning to make it a thing. Okay. Like, and 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 everything we do is fairly organic. You talk. You use the word success we don't tend to view it as success because we're not, we're not measuring that aspect. If you like, we're not seeing sort of, yes, we want to have a global impact and I suppose we can pat ourselves on the back for that. Um, but it's kind of not what we're chasing. We're just, we're kind of what we, what we are experts in is, is fun and pedagogy. Yeah. And if the byproduct is, um, that kids are learning maths, like basic maths really well, then great. That for us is success. Um, so let's define it like that. Kids learning maths really well while having fun. Okay, yes, then we're successful. Um, so has have there been bumps? The moment I released it as a thing for other schools to pay for and sort of took it beyond the walls of King Solomon Academy, 
schools found it online. They must have been doing some kind of Google search. I must be like the best at Google ranking, and I have no idea how. Um, they found it and, and they were paying for it straight away. I mean, I, the price has always been pretty rock bottom. It's like practically zero. Um, and so thank you to all the people who have like taken a punt on it and hopefully it's worked out. Um, so there's all, so that aspect of getting into classrooms, I always hoped wouldn't be an issue. I tried to keep the barriers right down from my own experience of buying stuff as a head of maths. But I suppose where, where, where might it have been bumpy? Um, I guess if anybody's going to challenge us on something, it's that with rock stars in particular, less so with numbots, there is this feeling that the speed at which you answer the times table questions is the be all and end all. Mm. We recognize that a times tables isn't the whole of maths. Like we're just a, a small subset within a much bigger domain. Um, and that being quick at responding to a times table question correctly, isn't the be all and end all of knowing the tables. Um, but we do use speed as a way to assess whether a child has kind of got it or not. Mm. And it's an established um, thing or threshold in social science that if you can recall something or retrieve something within three seconds, that's classed as automatic recall. And so if we're going to be accused of something, it's you're going big on the speed element, Bruno. And that's because you kind of need you want some kind of a metric to show that there has been improvement and you could go with accuracy. Um, but at the same time, you don't just need a child to be accurate. You kind of want them to have it in a reasonable response time. Um, so if they're going to accuse us of anything. It's the people who say, it's not just about instant recall. And we say, no, you're right. We're with you on that. It's not just about instant recall. It's also about understanding the relationships between individual questions and also between the tables and it's about understanding commutativity and how you can you can be flexible with the table facts like if you know two of them you can combine them to make the third or if you know one of them you can manipulate it to make a second um but sometimes that level of understanding that knowledge doesn't come until you've you don't need to think about you don't need to spend time recalling the questions like the other the other facts that you're using yeah. There's a bit of kind of understanding, push and pull with that between understanding and recall. Everybody knows. So I, I tend not to like kind of make educational arguments too polemic because always or quite often the answer is, is somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, and you do guide teachers towards that um, understanding of times tables through representation on yeah. the website. There are... I'm a huge fan of arrays and the, yeah. there's array representations there. And as you just alluded to, if we're looking at something like eight times seven, a, a typically tricky uh, multiplication, yeah. showing children that we can look at five times seven and three times seven and, and we can combine those, combine those. associative law and get those together. That's it. And if you look down the left-hand side, there's a button that says interactive tools. And that's where we've got these whiteboard widgets that allow the teacher to show the children lots of different ways to show to represent the tables, arrays, numicon style things, Cuisinaire rods, bar models, a number line, different things. Um, so I would be encouraging teachers to use that and the teacher notes that come with each of them to help them form questions around the conceptual parts of the tables. That really changed my teaching, just opening children's eyes to that and allowing them to see what eight times seven means. That yeah. they, they're just seeing an eight and a seven. And yeah. an answer that may or may not be correct. And then later on when they're looking at 26 times six, 
what that actually looks like, the magnitude yeah. of that number, and then not just seeing a two, a six, a multiplication symbol yeah. and a six, but there's a visualization element there as well. Um, when you look at a child's heat map, you'll often see a ready orangey kind of zone around things like yeah, eight times seven, six times seven, six times nine. Mm. Very consistent, like through ages, genders, cultures. It's a very similar pattern. So by all means, as a teacher, kind of put your weighting or emphasis on that hotspot. Like a lot of the re the rest of the tables kind of take care of themselves one way or another, but that that is always an area that you can spend more time on. The nine times table is is one that I think about a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that seems an odd thing to say, but I'm a huge fan of multiple methods, and I think sometimes the the trick with the fingers is taught with the nine times table, and we're not. It, it seems like a great vehicle for um, deriving facts. So we're not thinking about our 10 times table and thinking about oh, how that relates to our nine times table. And I believe that comes from children not fully understanding what those numbers mean and what the representation means. And say we're trying to find seven times nine. We're not thinking about oh, seven times 10. And, and I, I believe that's because children aren't sure. Oh, I know what seven times 10 is 70. And to get to seven times nine, am I taking away a seven? Am we'll I taking away, away a nine? nine. Yeah. Or am I taking away a 10? Yeah. You know, I, but that maybe comes from they haven't had that experience of the visualization. Yeah. So just finding the answer using your fingers is fine, but I'm always looking for that deeper understanding. And I think multiple methods improving the maths in lots of different ways gets you that deeper understanding. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope there aren't too many teachers teaching that finger trick for the nine times table, unless like under extreme, extreme circumstances, um, like really we should be trying to avoid kind of, tricks like that because they don't transfer to the other tables and we kind of re would prefer really to get to the point of recall rather than fingers um but what i would say then you're right actually using say 10 times nine to work out um uh what you said nine times seven didn't you so we could do 10 times seven and then is it a takeaway nine or takeaway seven high spotlight that question and just ask that question in relation to lots of other facts like and that's all they have to do is make the decision a or b is it am i going to take away a group of seven or am i going to take away a group of nine am i going to take away a group of eight am i going to take away a group mm. of nine am i going to take away a group of five or a group of eight like just ask that question an a or b question until it's like oh i know how to make that decision now it's just it's just dawned on me the way to work it out is okay if i'm going up in groups of um seven then it's one group of seven that i need to take away mm. it's not the nine so i think just that's what i would do you know up to gcse math and beyond is if i knew that there was a part of their decision making flow where they were really prone to making a mistake just sweat them on that mm. don't try and get them to do kind of all five steps in over and over again like actually zone in on that key skill it's the same like you might do i suppose practicing a musical instrument or a sport don't play a whole match to get better at spot kicks. Mm. Don't play a whole piece just to be good at like one bar that you can't play properly. Um, like, yeah, zoom in on the bit that, that you're stuck on. I love that you've brought in other subjects there because we, we were quite mathsy then. But I feel this way of thinking about your teaching relates certainly to things like phonics and even to English and, and music and art, ju just getting children comfortable with a certain area. And really teaching for understanding, not teaching mm. to remember facts yeah. or dates or names. Well, yeah. In, and in, in that, I'm kind of drawing on my four years of 
doing psychology. Mm. I didn't do maths at university. There's a heavy maths component, but I didn't do maths. I did psychology. So I'm kind of using everything I learned about cognition and learning and memory forming, long-term, short-term, all this kind of stuff, um, which I think has become really popular. And, and people are having to, teachers are having to learn kind of now for themselves and from each other, because often they haven't done a degree in psychology, but they're kind of like getting a pseudo degree in it from conversations and blog articles and listening to speakers and everything that's come out in the last kind of eight, nine, 10 years about cognition and memory. Mm -hmm. It's been really important, but I kind of, I'm lucky that I kind of already knew that. And maybe that's subconsciously, that's what I was applying when I was creating rock stars. Yeah. You mentioned um, before just about numbots as well. Mm. And uh, I'll just preface this with, when I look at um, early years maths, especially, or key stage one maths, I get frustrated with counting. Mm. It's, I think it might just be a personal thing to me, something I think about all the time. Um, so, for example, we're looking at five plus seven is, is an example I always go to. Children hopefully think, oh, I've got five, and then potentially they're just counting on the seven. And where I try and get children to calculate and use intelligent practice rather than this inefficient method that when we get to five plus 23 isn't going to help them anymore because mm. we you know counting on 23 is going to be going to be tricky tell us a little bit about numbots and where that came from and how it relates to time stable rock stars because i think w w potentially from what what i see on the website we're trying to achieve that that automatic recall aspect yeah but with early number facts so children aren't counting on their fingers anymore they've just got those facts to hand yeah, so remember, Rockstars was built in 2010 uh, in my third year of teaching. And I didn't know all I knew about math teaching and learning that I do now. So it was done without any of that kind of extra wisdom. By the time we got to thinking about numbots, and that only came about because schools would say to us, thank you, like, we're really enjoying the reaction to Times Table Rockstars. Children don't need to think so much about the tables anymore but they're falling behind and they've always, they've never really caught up with number bonds and addition, subtraction. Have you got anything? And we'd have to kind of politely say, well, thank you. That's for your kind words, but no, we, we don't. And it kind of got to the point where we thought, well, okay, maybe we could have a crack at this. So we started working on it. It actually took us three years where Rockstars took us three months um, because of that extra component of now having the wisdom that you should, we should be doing much more on the understanding piece it's not as simple to teach the understanding as, as it is to get the recall practice done. So we had to think about very carefully what representations do we use? How do we break it apart? Teaching super small basic math is so much trickier than teaching algebra or graphs or fractions or something. Could like, not agree more. We had to spend ages like scratching our heads saying, like, how do you teach something kind of so atomic, so basic, if you like, so fundamental? But something that we did, like gazillions of years ago, we can't remember how we learned it. We just kind of know it now. Mm. Um, and what was really, really important that kind of allowed us to understand and find a way through was the work by Number Sense Maths, actually. I don't think they'd fully formed under the name Number Sense Maths, but Claire Christie and her colleague had come up with a taxonomy, a way of breaking up the addition and subtraction facts and giving groups of them names. And... When, when you see it, it's like, ah, oh, of course, that's so obvious. Makes so much sense. But no, no one had ever presented the facts like that as groups. And once you, and we love like systematizing things, logical things, things that are in order, things that are sensible. And she just helped us to make sense 
of addition subtraction facts. So then from that, we we're able to start building up a like, okay, so we're going to start here. We're going to move to that. We're going to move to that. We're going to move to that. And um, it was hard work, but to an extent, like it just it was just a case of waiting, going through that process of letting the maths unravel. Um, and we like, I, I think it's world-class what we've done with numbers. So I'm really proud of it. Really proud of it. Um, in particular, one of my colleagues, Sarah, has done and did the bulk of the kind of pedagogical thinking around the order of things that should be delivered in, what representations to use, when to start taking them away, when to go back to an earlier skill because we're about to toughen up the main skill that we want to use, but we need to kind of go back and rehearse a skill that they might need to help them with the new skill that we're about to cover. Think about the efficient mental strategies because that's the other thing actually with numbers. We want the understanding we want the factual recall, but we also want if, if, um, strategy selection, efficient strategy selection. Like, what's the play here? I'm doing. I'm adding 19. Okay, so I'm going to use a compensation method, or mm. I'm not adding 19. I'm using something else. I'm going to use a counting to 10 and beyond method. So, it's like, how do you do that in a really basic, simple game format? And anyway, we had fun building it. It looks great, thanks to our legendary illustrator Gary. Um, it plays great and and it's going really well i love how you 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 talk about early years and, and key stage one pedagogy I, i'm lucky enough to in the last couple of years i've spent a lot of time with early years teachers and i'll always say to them I, I fully believe the subject knowledge required to teach early years well is absolutely huge and, and far more than some parts of later math teaching a child that three plus three is six without just saying it to them a bit louder each time it's, yeah. it's incredible really isn't it well at that age children's brains like can go in so many different directions with their understanding you never quite predict what a five-year-old is going to make of what you're trying mm. to show them it's often it's so much more random what they're thinking than what an 11 or a 12 year old is thinking mm. um and so you've just got to have enough experience to spot how this five-year-old has gone off on that train of thinking and how you're going to pull them back so that they understand or ideally like, like deliver deliver things in the first place in a way that they're going to understand. And that's what we're getting better at as a profession. Like so much in the last 10 years and huge credit to White Rose Maths um, for producing content and teacher training that is like really leveling up teachers' skills, really leveling up. The whole, the, the Maths Hub program I think has been a huge success. What we've learned from Shanghai teaching, huge success. Um, and and the other programs similar to White Roads Math, like there are other good ones. I was I got the chance to be on a DFE kind of selection committee of looking through a whole load of publishers' materials that they submitted to put them forward to a kind of like a preferred textbook list. Um, Power Maths being one of them, and Math No Problem being another one that was selected in the end. But all of the publishers are all working towards like a teaching for mastery approach as, mm. as kind of. I think that's safe to say te a teaching for mastery approach. <laughs> um, and, and I'm excited about what that means for not this generation of kids, but yes, that's great. But like when they become teachers and the children they're teaching become teachers, mm. like let's cast forward to like 30, 40 years. I think yeah, we'll be so much smarter yeah. and more confident in maths because we'll have been taught how maths was intended to be taught. Like, you hear that, don't you, all the time, that this isn't the way we, we were taught it. So yeah. we've almost got to undo our understanding in order yeah. to understand this 
this new way. But yeah, I'd not thought about that. When these children become teachers themselves, they'll have that the foundation to fall back on. Yeah, exactly. That's a fantastic point. Why did you decide on Numbots as a name for Numbots? I, I was scratching my head for a long time around that. We knew that what had seemed to have worked well from Rockstars was this idea that you, and from games in general, this idea of being able to rank or level up. So from going from a busker to a rock hero. One Saturday morning, I don't know why, I was thinking about what are we going to do? And this idea of a magical scrap heap came into my head of a and the kind of a scrap heap where things come alive at night like yeah. from lots of clanky metal and it's noisy but it's magical and so like robots started to form and like well okay you take robot and the word numbers and you mash it together <laughs> and you've got numbers um and so i just thought hmm okay so you start with this rusty character but what journey are they going to go on and i thought well can we turn into a diamond bot? Like it's complete alchemy. You can't go from rust to diamond. I'm quite aware that that is not <laughs> kind of atomically possible, but, um, but it's obviously quite metaphorical. And I spoke to my sister like, why should this guy want to go and become a diamond bot? Cause diamonds are kind of shiny and blingy, but we don't want to just tell children to go for the blingy, the shiny things. Mm. And she was, she saw right through it. She said, well, diamonds, they shine on the outside, but they also shine on the inside. That's actually what makes wow. them sparkle is a kind of the light reflecting inside. So, so the metaphor there for wanting to become a diamond bot is that you, this character wants to shine on the inside and outside. So that's actually one of the first questions that we, we try to get teachers to ask once they play the initial numbers video is why do you think, what do you think it means to shine on the inside and outside? Just trying to remind kids like work hard and be nice essentially. That's beautiful. Anyway. You uh, talked a little bit about feedback that you get from uh, Numbots and from TT Rockstars. Do you get children giving you feedback or teachers or parents? Where does the majority of that come from? Yeah, all the time. And it's so invaluable. Um, sometimes we've got a whole load of nonsense. Like on the App Store, they're either giving us five stars and rating us like five stars or one star. But yeah. either way, <laughs> it, it's feedback. And actually their reviews can be quite entertaining lots of use of emojis very poor punctuation so i'd say like <laughs> there's a learning opportunity for kids. i would love to just red pen their review sometimes but anyway um and that we yeah we we've yeah we consistently get feedback from parents from children from teachers though quite often it's you're missing something that we want mm. as usually in the avatar store like you're missing something and and that's really important because actually what they're saying to us is we want to feel even more represented. Mm. Hopefully the subtext is, Bruno, you're doing a great job with the representation options that we've currently got, but we don't feel fully represented. So last year, a mother wrote to us saying her daughter had developed alopecia and she didn't feel like one of the typical kind of um, head coverings that an alopecia person might wear was in there. So we got on with that straight away. Um, a few months ago... Um, a child had seen that we had hearing aids, but we didn't have cochlear implants. And we went back and, and said, oh, yeah, that's right. But it's really tricky because of the positioning of the avatar's head. How, do you, how are we going to show or display cochlear implants? And to their credit, and to the teacher's credit, she kind of effectively ran a design competition in her school uh, and got like four or five responses of like, this is how you could do it. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair point. So, so we 10 year olds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, we, we put in the cochlear implants into the avatar store. Um, not that long ago, a, a child wrote in saying we've started um, 
like offering lodging to guide dogs. I don't think she in particular needed a guide dog, or uh, but she was they were kind of effectively fostering guide dogs. Yeah, um, setting up lodging for guide dogs. Um, and she pointed out that there wasn't a guide dog option. So okay, need to get on that. And it can come down to hairstyles, it can come down to hair coverings, it can come down to custom dress and traditional things. So often we get yeah questions to do with help us represent ourselves more in the avatar store. And like diversity is one of the company's um, values. And so if a child doesn't feel that we're diverse enough, then that's that's something we jump onto like really quickly. Fantastic, incredible story. Just from one child writing in like these changes yeah. that can make. And we we've, we've been we're luck, yeah we get educated by them all the time. People in people in general. Um, we're designing a new version of the garage screen at the moment. Mm-hmm. And garages, I use the word masculine, like typically garages are kind of gray, metal, functional, messy, greasy stuff, probably lying about everywhere. But we've got half a million girls using rock stars and half a million boys using rock stars each week. Not everybody identifies with messy spaces, cold spaces, things that are like... Um, metallic and grey and things. So I wouldn't say we fully zhuzhed it up. It's not going to look as as good as this, but like <laughs> it's a relatively tidy garage. Things have their place. We're using trying to use colour judiciously. Um, we're trying to th- put things in there that everybody will appreciate, or you know, rather than people. It, it it's just it's a fairly quick win like, to get it right mm-hmm. for more people. Um, with a bit of extra thought and so we we deliberate over these things much longer than people would realize yeah like every week we're having some kind of discussion around an image how is that going to be portrayed Hmm. are we missing a demographic who would be offended for having been missed so it's not just a customer feedback thing there's that great henry ford quote isn't there about if if he'd asked people what they wanted they would have said faster horses yeah and sometimes you have to be that reflective person yourself and and you can go on customer feedback, but then it sounds like you're reflecting all the time and coming up with these ideas. We're trying to, we're trying to, and hopefully we get it more right than we get it wrong. It's tricky sometimes, like with numbots, because robots are kind of metallic. They don't have hair. <laughs> um, but sometimes you need hair and other signals to suggest whether this is and here we're getting into a gender debate or a gender conversation, which is potentially very dangerous for me anyway. But um, children want to see themselves represented. So mm. whatever we think about robots and gender as grown-ups, they kind of want to see, is this a boy robot or a girl robot, generally speaking? Mm-hmm. They'll become wiser and more educated about genders and, and everything else as they grow, grow up. But at that age, they're still quite... Like, is this a boy, is this a girl? Yeah. So we are limited with robots when it comes to signals that you can use to suggest if it's female or if it's male, but we give thought to everything, like the relative size, the proportions of it, whether it should or shouldn't have eyelashes or lips of a particular color or a ponytail. And it's like, we have full on, they're not arguments because like we love each other and we're super professional, but (laughs) like it's as professional as you can get to a wrestling match around certain things because it's not always that straightforward yeah. just to design a robot that's going to appeal to lots of people. And when emails come in from people, do you like to answer all the emails or is that a task you can delegate? Um, 
I like to read them if I can respond, if it's particularly tricky or a particularly nuanced answer, or maybe it's someone who's really cross, <laughs> I might take that, like deflect that um, and not, not put that on somebody else. But it, it works out. We've got a really good balance, actually. The team, are, the, the, the majority of the people who are responding are all teachers. And so they, we can all put ourselves kind of in the feet of the people who are writing in. We kind of know what, what's going on in their heads. Mm-hmm. So, Where are you with like challenge and conflict within your team? This, this came up recently. So with my, the managing, my manager director, Caroline Hamilton, sent me some training through about um, the, I've, I've got it here, the Lencioni model. A guy called Patrick Lencioni put together a model where it really celebrates conflict within a team, and that's a good thing to have that challenge. Now, when I was researching you, hearing about you um, and the King Solomon Academy, I feel like you were very happy to challenge tradition and challenge Ofsted and challenge things that have been in place for the good of the children. Mm. Do you celebrate challenge within your team now? Or are you happy for people to come to you and say, I don't agree with that, Bruno? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I need to be challenged on things at all times. Right? I'm, I'm not that renegade, but like, yeah, we. I think we have a fantastic kind of challenge each other culture. And some people feel more comfortable with challenge in both directions, like whether it's me challenging them or them challenging me, or you know them challenging each other. But there was something that we did bef- before we sat before we opened the doors at King Solomon. We all read a book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and it and it basically yeah says. Yeah, promote challenging each other and that's healthy i found that really difficult i remember a kind of a, a round table discussion with the, the the founding teachers at ksa and we kind of had to go around and challenge somebody on some something and it's it's either it's quite anti-british maybe it was quite anti-me i found that exercise very difficult at the time um but it was something that that we embraced and we had daily meetings about what was going well at ksa what wasn't and sometimes that meant we had to challenge somebody else, but we remembered that we're a great group of like, individuals. We respect each other. It's not an attack. Don't see it as an attack. It's always like about growth. It's about improving something. And yeah, I always tell the team, like, I am not here to, you know, ideally I'm not here to have to have a, a casting vote or to trump decisions. That happens to be the role I have to take by nature of being the position I'm in, but actually, if you don't like something that I've suggested, challenge me on it. And then I have to go back and justify it. And so there was an example recently where I thought it was gonna be useful to to stop children grinding on the twos, the tens, the fives, and the elevens. And I had to go out and find the evidence to support that suggestion. And so we had to look at all the data to show that children were grinding on those tables when they don't, when I say that, I mean they're earning coins by practicing on the tens in jamming and by take and for them they're seeing that as the easy route because mm. I can see from their data that they don't need to be working on the tens they're already ridiculously quick but I had to go out and do the data analysis build like a um a kind of a beta uh solution to it let a whole load of schools know that they had private access to this beta option oh wow and to then give me feedback and it was only then once we kind of started getting the feedback that I could kind of say well, with a whole load of confidence that this was the right feature, the right direction. So, and that's a, res- a result of being kind of challenged 
internally mm. within the team as to whether that was actually going to be the right decision. I've always been happy to challenge and I, and I respect that so much in teachers that, and I feel it comes down to that justification that you've been talking about, that I love it when teachers try something new or something different. And that if you can justify it, then absolutely run with it and we'll, you know, we'll gather some evidence and we'll yeah. see where it goes. Just coming back to your, your time at KSA, King Solomon Academy, you, um, will you just talk us through your journey to, to getting there because you, you, you did a psychology degree. Yeah. Did you do a PGC then and then do a bit of teach and then come out and come back in? I think we, I'd done a master's. So I'd already done four years at uni. I didn't want to necessarily spend an, another year doing a PGCE. And, and what was perfect was that it was at the dawn of Teach First. So back in 2003, 2004, when Teach First were just kicking off. And they were offering an opportunity to learn on the job. And I'd already had experience, I guess, at uni volunteering while I was at school. I was vol always volunteering with younger kids. And then I left to go into an engineering consultancy called Arup to be their sustainability kind of psychology guru. And I was missing the classroom. Um, there wasn't necessarily a career trajectory there for me. There might be now if I went back, there might be something there. But there wasn't at the time. I was missing schools, missing the creativity, the responsibility. So I went down to three days a week so that I could go into schools and give them eco advice. And I wow. kind of loved being back, talking to teachers, talking to children, doing assemblies, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then that's when a few ex-teach firsters, including me, a small group of like six or seven of us, would get together, get together ruminating about our time teaching in inner city schools in London, what was going wrong, why were so many children failing? And we thought, well, we should start our own school. And it was all totally hypothetical. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I'd, I personally didn't. I thought it was all just like a thought exercise. Maybe some of the others in the group thought this would one day actually materialise. And as it happens, uh, that was also then at the dawn of the Academies programme, like Tony Blair's Academies mm -hmm. programme. And that allowed interest groups to start their own school. It wasn't just the local authority anymore. If you had £2 million and you could kind of put together a sensible board of governors you could start up your own school. Um, and we were in the right place at the right time when there was such a board of governors who had a site and were looking for someone to become the head. So they recruited Max, one of the guys, the Teach Firsters that I was like in cahoots with. And then I applied to be the head of maths after that. Um, so I fell back into teaching quite happily and then came out of it um, five years later to do teach first, uh, to do rock stars, and I'm where I am now. But actually, I would love to make a return to the classroom someday. Like that is definitely where my heart is. It's like, lovely to hear that. This podcast is all about celebrating teachers and, and the job. It's such a worthwhile job, such a brilliant job, and it's lovely to hear from someone like yourself who did two years, then came out and missed it and loved it and yeah. wanted to go back, and then has come out, and it's real juxtaposition for me. Real indecision my, my thoughts on this and I'm still not sure about it because retention is an issue in teaching and if you love teaching then stay in the classroom but at the same time if you'd stayed in the classroom we wouldn't have TT Rockstars now which is such a valuable commodity in, yeah. in, in education was there anything else uh, at, at KSA that you feel was revolutionary or a bit renegade that you did um, which might help other teachers um, we with, a, with a, any startup, anything, right, you've got a blank slate. Mm. And so it was up to us to, like, to put on that slate what we wanted. And we were very much of the opinion that just because it's done 
some way, like a particular way everywhere else, doesn't mean to say we should do that at KSA. Great. Um, and, or conversely, just because it's not done some way somewhere else doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't. So we, we took that approach in just about everything, right? Just because most secondary schools teach maths in attainment groups, like in sets, doesn't mean to say we should. So we taught in mixed attainment. Um, just because other schools um, move their curriculum on every two weeks in maths doesn't mean to say we should. It took me a, a year to realize that I did in the first, with the first cohort of year sevens move the curriculum on every two weeks. And it was actually my realization at the end of that year that I'd been moving on too quickly that then led me to producing what subsequently kind of got dubbed a mastery curriculum, which really is just a much bigger block curriculum where we kind of slow things down and, and try to get into the understanding part rather than trying to race through. Um, which makes so much sense now. Which makes so much sense, yeah. right? And I wrote a blog, which is a, like how to design your own mastery curriculum. It's like the most popular post I've ever written. And I think it was as a result of that, that my Twitter follower pro following probably increased or my Facebook or blog following probably increased and as a result, probably helped with some of the rock stars growth. Um, but yeah, we were, I suppose you could call us, kind of call us renegade in everything we do in the sense that we were breaking, trying to break the mold. We are mm -hmm. deliberately trying to show like our whole reason for setting up KSA was to show that, um, you didn't have to grow up in a particular postcode and assume that you were going to have particular outcomes mm. like that. We would, uh, irrespective of your postcode and we were deliberately placing ourselves in like one of the poorest wards in London that we were going to break that cycle. And so everything had to, the, the script had to be rewritten from the start. Like we would go into families homes before the children had walked into the school to sit and have like a one-to-one -one like this with the parents. Well, it's actually a three-way conversation. The, the child would be there and we'd sit and discuss a contract and tell them what the expectations were, like down to this is how you're going to do your top button up and your tie when you walk to school because you're representing yourself, your family, and us, the school. And that, like we, we would sweat the small stuff. Mm -hmm. You know What we would say is if you sweat the small stuff, the big stuff takes care of itself. So, yeah, dressing appropriately with proper uniform and having the proper equipment, we would sweat. Um Tapping in lessons, we would sweat using Douglas Mold's Teach Like a Champion framework and things like that. So yeah, like culture was supremely important, um, strict but warm. So when I say strict, I mean like we knew where the boundaries were and we'd uphold them every time. But it, that doesn't mean like barking instructions and being shouty shouty. You can do it with a smile. You can explain why we've got those boundaries. We can rehearse things in a way that's fun and energetic. Um, and there's a huge emphasis on rewards in your behavior strategies. Yeah. And again, we didn't get that right with the first cohort. We were probably a bit more on the strict and less on the warm side. But that was something that we reflected on at the end of the first year. It's like, hmm, maybe we can bring back or bring more warmth. So we went back to the charter schools that we'd spoken to in America before starting KSA because we went over there to see how they were doing it because they were also mold breakers and said, okay, so what did you find? How did you get more warm? And they just kind of gave us suggestions about systems and processes and programs and reward things that we could put in place. So we we had um, a whole like a we kind of kind of a payslip. Okay. Uh, and so at the end of the week, children would get like a rundown of their week, and and that would then lead into a reward system. We tried to make the the difference between making the right choice and the wrong choice like massive, because sometimes 
reward and consequence systems like kids can kind of take or leave the reward is not big enough to make it mm. worthwhile and the consequence isn't like harsh enough to make a difference so if their payslip wasn't where it needed to be at the end of the week that um, meant that they had two hours um, in a room with all the other with the other few people like while everybody else had gone off to extra games oh so you've got kind of a detention situation or a Reward, or like two hours of like off-site games. Wow, amazing. Yeah. And then that made the kind of marginal calls that they were making in the classroom, like, should I call out? Should I answer back? Should I be annoying one more time? Should I hit this person? No. No, it's not <laughs> worth it because actually I could jeopardize my whole Friday afternoon and it's just yeah. not worth it. Um, and yeah, that was, it was always presented, rather than it presenting as a, as a stick, we've kind of presented the, the reward of the Friday afternoon as a massive carrot. Let's talk mm. about that and how great that's going to be, not you want to avoid that behavior because otherwise you're going to have this massive stick. Instead, it's like, you want to go for this behavior because you're going to have this fun time on a Friday. My my mum was a teacher and advised me not to go into teaching. She could see the bureaucracy creeping in and the paperwork and all that side of things. And I, similar to yourself, I didn't do a, a teaching degree. I did an IT degree and a PGCE and ignored my mum's advice. And I think secretly she she was pleased because just of my personality and the way she brought me up, I think she thought I'd be a nice person to have in the classroom. Mm. And I always felt my primarily my primary job was not to teach children the curriculum, but just to create lovely people. That, yeah. that, was, that was the first thing I wanted to do nice. with in, in the primary classroom. What were your favorite bits? What did you really enjoy about teaching? I mean, I think, I was chuffed a bit when Teach First came along because I'd always enjoyed the company and just helping out younger children. It's mm. just, I think they're fun people. <laughs> and I think probably mentally I'm quite a lot on their level. <laughs> like I, I think like a child, I've just started playing Fortnite on the Nintendo with my kids wow. and I'm having the most fun ever. Um, so I, I'm I'm a bit of a child in a grown-up's body to an extent. I probably have always felt like that. Um so it's just it's just fun, isn't it? They like they're funny. They yeah. say great things, but it's also just brilliant to see their eyes open wide. I love it when I'm able to tell one of my sons something that they didn't know before. They are interested. They are inquisitive. Like one of them reads the Week Junior. Um, the other one devours fact books, um, or even just football playing cards. Um, they're they're always finding something interesting. Right, it's not difficult to interest them, or they'll watch videos of on YouTube of like compilations of great human endeavors. Even wow. though, just to see their minds blown about anything, it doesn't really matter. It's just always kind of interesting. We love the Wheat Junior. We're yeah. fans of that. Yeah, yeah especially yeah. the puzzles in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Shout like out to Wheat Junior. Definitely. <laughs> I don't know if they're sponsoring this podcast, but maybe we could get a little tip from them. <laughs> Is there anything you you would change then about teaching as a whole? to to improve it how, how would what would if you went and started the Bruno Ready school now uh, um I think if they could be yeah all set up to be kind of joyous mm. places for childhood another person we've spoken to on the podcast is a head teacher called Phil Brook and he has implemented something called Thinking Thursdays in his mm -hmm. school where he can release some teachers from timetable just to have those professional conversations yeah and he has found Productivity has improved. Yeah. Mental health has improved. Workload has improved. Teachers are happier, and and their kind of career progressions are are just 
exponential because they've had this chance to mm. to reflect and they're not chasing their tails they're not yeah. trying to get from one place to another so yeah head teachers making time for teachers to to become better at their job is yeah definitely and subject leads have a part to play there so when we would run our department meetings math department meetings on a weekly basis at ksa we weren't talking about the next assessment or talking about i don't know filling in data or report writing or something we got stuck into the pedagogy so we would take mm. a topic and kind of dissect it and think about all the things around it and likely misconceptions great questions to ask bad questions to ask like activities that were going to expose the a particular likely misunderstanding um and kind of get geeky about the pedagogy of it and mm. uh, and and everybody loved it actually people much preferred contributing to um to meetings like that than like admin stuff so i would I would suggest that as a format for kind of weekly department meetings is, is talk about the lesson, talk about, get geeky about what you're going to teach and how you're going to teach it. Do you think then, so you can have the bureaucracy removed, you're being, being really efficient in your teaching. I, I know at KSA, one of the things was not getting children to write learning objectives out, like just removing all that rubbish and allowing you to focus on the pedagogy. Is, is that a, a mindset that made a big difference for you? Yeah, I mean... I'm very careful to always check my biases, mm -hmm. okay? And so we know that the word bureaucracy is kind of fairly emotionally laden and it comes with all sorts of baggage. Like there is a part for bureaucracy, like things have to be recorded. That is, that is helpful. Um, yes, it takes time. It's not always the most enjoyable thing to do, but I don't see it like as like the most horrendous thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the world, right? So I'm just checking whether actually a sensible amount of bureaucracy is fair. Um, writing learning objectives down is definitely a fruitless exercise. No child has ever gone back and reflected on what they'd written down, like Walt or hello, <laughs> this or whatever. Like uh, that, yeah, that's just a pure if waste of time. anything is causing them stress and annoyance because their handwriting's not on point or, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Total waste of time. Um, so I'm not, I'm not for, uh, I'm obviously pro saving teachers time and do things that are useful. Um, and where we could strip stuff out and it made sense to do so then, yeah, well, of course we were in favor of that. Like we did a lot of marking in class, children marking their own work, children marking their partner's work so that teachers weren't necessarily taking it home. Tried to get a whole load of s stuff marked in general. Like I'd prefer stuff to be marked than, than it to be not marked. And that's where, yeah, like I did lean on different websites and different platforms to help with the marking. Like as in get the, the students online, we had a bit of a hybrid set up after the third or fourth year. Everybody had a Chromebook. And so where it made sense, we'd get them online. And it was actually in one of those lessons when we were still doing rock stars on paper that one of the children said, why don't you, you're getting us to play all these other maths websites. Why don't you turn rock stars into like something we can actually do on a, on so a keyboard? So it's that child's idea then. It's not actually your no, idea. Sometimes I'm an idea generator. Sometimes I'm an idea magpie or, or one <laughs> thing will just like lead to another idea. But yeah, actually, uh, his name was Sonny. I remember the boy. I can remember the lesson. I remember which room we were in when he said it. And like, again, it was another one of those like light bulb moments. And for me, like, I think what separates good teachers from great teachers in maths is, is around their on the fly questioning skills. 
like leading, like it's all very well creating an, an amazing worksheet. And hopefully now when the people are creating their own worksheets and there's no need to, cause they're great textbooks out there. But um, if they're creating their own worksheets or if they're downloading something from Tez or somewhere else, mm. I'd like them to have a critical eye for then hopefully looking for, th for aspects of variation and intelligent practice. Cause that for me is a fundamental, it's gotta be like an intelligent worksheet has got to be some variation in there. Um, but what separates the good from the, the supersonic teachers is the ability to kind of think like a worksheet designer on the fly in the classroom. So orchestrating a whole class discussion with mini whiteboards and pivoting off something that you've seen on that whiteboard or those two whiteboards. And for me, the, Question, the Bible of Questions is a book called Thinkers by Anne Watson and John Mason. I absolutely like I go fanboy <laughs> all over that when I meet, when I meet them. Um, they've just got a very simple set of question stems that I that are so easy to bust out. Like, give me an example. If I do this, what happens? What do you notice when? Um, and there's a whole load of just great question stems that allow you to come up with almost an infinite number of questions, so long as you know how to. How to use them if you read their book it's kind of obvious how you how you can then leap from one question to the next because it's not just about question one it's about question two and three and four that follows on and the mistake that one could make and that i certainly made in the early days was okay i'll throw that question out there and the question that follows up will be in no way related to the first question mm -hmm. so the mental leap for the children is is like is big so at some point i worked out that the less I change from one question to the next, the more the children can see a pattern emerging and we can kind of tease apart what's different, what's the same, what have I changed and be kind of quite scientific about it. Like scientists wouldn't change more than one variable to mm. find out like the effect of something. And that's subconsciously what children are doing to try and make sense of something. They're trying to see, how did you get from there to there? What was different mm. about the way you just did that one? Oh, well, because you only changed one thing. I can see exactly the, the change or the effect that that one small change made. Mm. But if I've changed too many parts of the question, like I'm not giving them the, ch the children the chance to make sense. So I think that's what a, a super skillful teacher is doing is in real time, knowing or being able to figure out one question to the next, to the next, based on the responses that they're getting around the classroom. Mm -hmm. I, I again I, I just agreed with everything you said all the way through the podcast but I completely agree with that and I, I see it as the children almost leading their own learning that they're they're noticing patterns in relationships and there's a lovely lesson which I really enjoy teaching um, and I've brought the home learning slides and video for for, for White Rose around uh, it's a year two lesson about adding three single digit numbers mm. and we just start off with something along the lines of five plus two plus five is equal to 12. So there's no math anxiety around what the answer is. We're just looking at, oh, can we find the bond to 10, basically five plus five? And then the next question beneath that might be five plus four plus five uh, is equal to 14. And what's the same, what's different about the mm. two questions? Mm. Again, there's no math anxiety. There's no rushing to find an answer. We're just looking and, and experimenting with the maths. And maybe the next question might be, four plus five plus five is equal to 14. Oh, what's the same? What's different about question two and question three? And the children, you feel like you're not teaching anymore. The yeah. children are teaching, they're learning. They're no, I've noticed this, I've noticed this. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that falls into the NCTM have the have big five ideas and variation is one of those. 
And I feel like that is the most powerful Definitely. one of the tools, Definitely. but also one of the most difficult for teachers to uh, to fully implement properly. Um, but, but yeah, I, I love lots of things that the NC, NCETM yeah. do and, and through the well, massive. If it helps, what I used to call it when I um, had to put a name to it, I just started to call them minimally different questions. Nice. And it wasn't then until like, I went to Shanghai or spoke to the maths hubs that I found out that there was a name for it, like variation mm. essentially is what I was playing around with. But if it helps people to come up with the next question, then go go with the sort of moniker of minimally different questions. I found as well that it translates perfectly to other subjects. So I see it with oh, my yeah. own children at home in, in reading and phonics. Yeah. That you pick up a phonics book and it'll have rat and we read rat and then it's car. Yeah. And it makes so much more sense to have rat and then cat. Yeah, exactly. And then just subtly changing each time, yeah, following that, that process. That's it. Because then you're, in terms of short-term memory, like the memory is able to hold, doesn't need to be thinking about the things that haven't changed because they're still there. They're kind of, that tab is still open um, in, its work, in the working memory. And you're only changing then one little thing that they need to adjust and assimilate with the rest that they're holding. And math isn't all about speed of recall or time tables isn't all about speed of recall. Fair point. But at some point, if you're trying to teach a whole load of other stuff that sits on top of the tables, what you don't want is them like puzzling over five times six because that's not one of the 36 facts that they're supposed to remember. They've got to derive that from something else. Um, so hopefully taking a relatively pragmatic view that yeah, memorizing those facts is A, possible, not really that difficult under the right circumstances, um, uh, and kind of see desirable. Um, there are exceptions to every generalization. Mm -hmm. So like, of course, people are going to want to comment on certain children can't remember them all. They probably can given the time and the right instruction and the right level of practice, like time being critical and the right level of confidence. Um, but if you're saying like at some point you just kind of got to, um, just like call it a day if you're like trying to get a particular child to learn every fact fine i accept that um and you want to give them instead only 36 facts for them to learn fine like go for it i'm like I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hold you again, <laughs> hold that against you um but i think it is desirable it is possible and it can be fun there, there's plenty of critics who say uh or as um associate again checking your biases rate memorization is otherwise known as drill and kill mm. and that it has to be boring it has to be victorian it has to be demeaning well i don't think all forms of practice are created equal and that actually doing stuff on a worksheet doing stuff sometimes under time pressure doing stuff with a reward or a bit of competition can be fun it's not again exceptions there are exceptions to the rule it can be done badly it can be done in a really uh confidence harming way like there's a particular game that i used to play i'd seen other teachers use it called around the world or sometimes mm -hmm. like shooters it's that one where you where you've got two children going head to head in front of the rest of the class you give them questions uh, and they've kind of got to give you the answer now this is classic chris dyson territory and he makes it a whole lot of fun for a lot of children my thing would be that until they're all equally secure at the tables it's got the risk of of like of upsetting a whole load of children mm. or there's a whole load of children who aren't doing any of the thinking because really you've kind of got and two children who are having to think about the question. So you're using all this time, it looks like fun. It seems to sound like fun because you've got 
20 out of the 30 children making a lot of noise mm -hmm. and like going for their friend. Um, but you've got a lot of people there also who are kind of terrified that the question's going to come to them at some point and they're going to lose or they might make a mistake or they're going to freeze and they're not enjoying the experience. And potentially then just opt out. I'll just get the question wrong because then the, the spotlight's off. Exactly. Me. And mm. so who's the kid who's doing all the thinking? The one who's winning, going around asking <laughs> all the questions, the one who know, already knows them all already yeah, anyway. Yeah. And so I was always duped into thinking that I was a fun teacher by playing that game mm. because they seem to be having so much fun. But actually, when you unpack it, there's lots of kids not answering and not having to think, and that's kind of wasted time. So the solution now is mini whiteboards or something like that where they, they think and they've got the opportunity to edit and improve and exactly. it's not Everybody huge... can show the answer and and you can bounce off that. So, okay, so you've given me that eight times uh, nine is 72. Well, give me one more group of eight on top of that. Mm. Or like you can flex the questions, right? Show me that as an array. What do you get if you half it and half it again? So we can kind of... And having that culture where if we make a mistake, that's good. We, yeah. we all learn from that. And that takes time to embed, doesn't it? And you need the right group of children for that. One of my favorite lessons was around the mistakes that we all make when trying to find the number of, that, that write out the factors, write out the factors of 30, write out the factors of 24, write out the factors of nine. There's like four or five classic mistakes that children would make with those. So I, I gave each of those mistakes a name and I attributed them to a particular Simpsons character. So like Lisa Simpson would always make the mistake of um, she would always forget that one and the number itself were factors of that number. And Bart would always forget that in a square number, um, the square root doesn't need to be counted, written twice. And um, like Marge would always, would never put them in pairs, so she'd always miss one. And so then, and we'd have a whole lesson just on exposing those mistakes and spotting, was that a Marge mistake? Was that a Lisa mistake? Was that a Bart mistake? So then we could, in future lessons, when we came on to factors, like have a laugh at oh, ourselves you if you like. Mistake. Oh, look, there's a bar mistake on that page. <laughs> what have you done there? Because then they're not thinking, oh, that's my mistake. I feel so bad about that. That was really awkward. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not your mistake, is it? That's Bart's mistake. And so, yeah, having a whole thing about mistakes and classic mistakes was, that's my bag, baby. Um, just on your bag, baby, I... I... I wonder where the, the infamous Baz Winter wig lives when it's not the top of your head. Yeah, it, it, it's about 25 square meter, uh, 25 <laughs> meters, uh, sort of in a straight line um, in the office up there. It's never far away. You never Pride know of place on a mannequin, just ready it's, to go. It's all ready for me to just like, like get into a phone booth. <laughs> yeah, out comes Baz, like with the whole like dry ice coming out as I step out as well. Yeah. You've certainly filled a, a need in education and we're very grateful for that so thank you for time savers rockstars thank you for for numbots and, and everything you've done with that it's a team effort and i'd love to name check everybody in the team um they've all they all play a part every single day yeah. they're all passionate they work hard and, one and a very we'll small team as well it's not a huge amount of people is it super small team so just yeah despite what people might expect or suspect uh, we're yeah we're currently a team of thirteen looking to grow to sixteen. Um, we will keep growing as as and when we need to, but we keep costs down because we know schools can't afford to pay top dollar, mm -hmm. uh, and so like we try to operate a very lean, sensible size team. And next for Math Circle, next for Math Circle, like innovation is uh, is in our nature, so we are constantly updating the very basics of 
Numbos and Rockstars, like as in what's there, the core product, I should say, is always being worked on. We've got a number of aspects where we're diversifying, where we're going to pop up hopefully in places that you wouldn't ex necessarily expect okay. a maths platform to appear. Um, I think the roadmap is is quite exciting, really. Like It's quite exciting. Lots of fun stuff. Like we always have fun. And because we're a small, nimble team, we're able to like jump into something exciting that might cross our bows. Like we've worked with BT Sport in the past and done a TV program. We worked mm. against World Records and come up with two records. Who knows what it will be? Like we kind of leave enough space, enough room in the tank for, for an exciting opportunity to come our way uh, and jump off that. I've got a whole bunch of cool stuff though that I would, I would love to see through um, in my lifetime. If not, I'm going to write a list so that it, that goes in my will. Like, if you're reading this, then these things were not achieved during Bruno's lifetime. <laughs> Can someone please happen? Make them happen because, like, he feels really strongly that at some point the world needs to see the light of day on these these other these ideas need to see the, the light of day. Anyway, that's just that's just me that's and how, how my head works. Yeah, nice window into your life. Thank you again for spending the time with us. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, there's so many things that people can take from this. Yeah, and we uh, we just really appreciate your time. Well, so thank you again. I mean, thank you for inviting me because I am a math teacher in my head. So I feel like it's ridiculous that I should be invited to be on the wonderful Great White Rose Math <laughs> podcast. Like, you know, that's been okayed by the likes of Caroline and Tony. It's like, right, thanks, guys. And yeah, to anybody who's ever used Rockstars and Numbots, thank you very much. And um, yeah, much appreciated. It feels like the end of a rock concert. Like, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, Good night. Go. Yeah. <laughs> and just one more thing. I'm back for the, like, back for the uncle. <laughs> how do you use Timestable Rockstars? And how have you sustained engagement in any project? Let us know by emailing podcast at whiterosemaths.com or on any of our social media channels. We read and reply to each one and would love to draw upon your thoughts in future episodes.